So like I said earlier, my name is Phil. I'm one of the elders here at Living Hope. Um, Josh Causey is our normal teaching pastor. He's the one who's normally up here, but he's going to be spending today and the next two weeks with our church plant over in Zachary. And uh, for this these next three weeks, he's going to be teaching them about elders and equipping them and preparing them to select and elect their own elders as they're on their road to constituting. So it's a really big step for them. It's really cool to see how he is continuing to bring that group and Zachary closer and closer together. And so we're just thinking about them and praying for them this morning. So for today and these next two weeks, while Josh isn't here, uh, each of the elders will take a turn teaching here on Sunday mornings. So today, I will be spending our time in, the, um, in John chapter 17. So you can go ahead, if you have your Bibles with you, you can be making your way there. No worries. Uh, we have one screen working today, and the verses will be up there. So this entire chapter of John 17 is just one long prayer from Jesus. Start to finish, it's Jesus praying. And this prayer takes place towards the very end of his life. Um, And these are some of the last moments that he has with the disciples, just him and them together before he goes to the cross. But before we jump right into John 17, I want to take just a minute to kind of set the stage for what is leading up to the moments right before Jesus prays. And so we're not going to go back and read each and every story, but it it starts in John chapter 13. As I've studied this and read into this, I've noted, I've seen this uh, been said that from 13 all the way through 17 is Jesus's farewell speech, he could be saying. Um, and if we started in 13, we would see that Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room and they're preparing to have a meal together. We know this as the Last Supper. It's them getting ready to celebrate Passover. And they spend a few hours up there in the room, and Jesus is teaching them and reminding them some really important things that he wants them to know. And then eventually they get up and they leave there and they start walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And in these topics, he's teaching them about how he's the way, the truth, and the life. He washes their feet. He teaches them about vine and branches and abiding and all that kind of stuff. And these last moments, as I'm reading through from 13 up to 17, I'm noticing that I feel like this is a really, these are heavy moments. These are the last things that Jesus is telling them and reminding them and putting into them before he goes to the cross. And again, I wish we could go through and look at each one of those stories because it's really beautiful. They just flow one to the next. But since we can't look at each one of those, I'll just summarize a few things that Jesus does and a few things that Jesus says that he wants them to know. Jesus tells his disciples two times, he says he notices the sorrow and the heaviness of their hearts in these moments. He's told them he's leaving, he's ascending, he's going to the Father, and he can just tell that they're just, they're just feeling heavy about that whole thing. And he knows that, he, he knows that, and he feels that, and he's with them in that. And then two times, he also says, but not to worry, because he's sending the Holy Spirit to be with them. And that they have nothing to fear. And how it's going to be a good thing for the Holy Spirit to come and be with him. And so again, he tells him that twice. And finally, he gets right up to where he's going to pray with him. And he tells him that he has so many more things that he wants to tell him. But he says that your hearts can't bear it right now. There's just too much. And so in light of all of that, in light of everything that he said, in light of how he knows that their hearts can't bear this, he says that even though the ruler of this world is coming for Jesus, that the ruler has no claim on him, and that they have nothing to fear and he has nothing to fear, because either Jesus' last words he says to him, he says, I have overcome the world. 
And then he just starts praying. And so it's this really intimate moment where it's just him and the disciples and they're gathered together. And he says, I've overcome the world. And he just starts praying. And so that's where we're going to pick up uh, in the very beginning of John chapter 1. We're going to break it into, I mean, uh, John 17 verse 1. And we're going to break it into three main sections. And the first section of John 17, we could say that it's all about Jesus and the Father. Jesus and the Father. Okay, so let's go ahead and reading in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, uh, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So as we just read, this is about Jesus praying to the Father, and it's about them too. And N.T. Wright, he, um, as I was studying this, he gives us two major themes that we can focus in on with this very first part. And those two themes would be that uh, this first part, there's a celebration. And the second is that Jesus makes a request. So uh, the celebration part is in verse 4. And it's Jesus saying that he glorified God his entire time while he was here on earth. That he was sent to do a specific thing, that he had a specific mission and a purpose. And as the reasons why he was sent here. And up to this point, he's accomplished every single thing that he was sent to do. And, but we know that the very next step is the cross. So he's done everything that the Father's asked him to do, but he knows he still has some hard things left. So it's not really like a fun or happy celebration, like a birthday party kind of thing. I was thinking about it more in the sense of like running a marathon. Now, I mean, I've never run a marathon, probably never will run a marathon. I think that is over with for me. But um, if I had run a marathon, and I'm imagining that I'm coming up to the very last mile to go, I've run like 100 million miles before this. My legs are going to fall off. And I look and I can see I've got one more mile to go. And so I can, in that moment, be proud of what I've done. I can be excited that I've made it this far. But I can look ahead and see that I've got just a little bit longer to go. And maybe that last mile is the hardest yet. And I think, in some ways, this is kind of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I've done it. Everything you've wanted me to do, I've accomplished it up to this point. And I know I've got this last bit left. I know I have the cross coming up le- next. But I'm ready to do that and I'm ready to come back to you, Father. So that's kind of his way of just um, acknowledging and celebrating what he's done and what's, what's coming next. So now with the request part, Jesus makes a request that the Father glorify him, is what he says. In verse 1, he said, Father, the hour has come. So it's time. Glorify me so that the Son may glorify you. Glorify the Son so that the Son may glorify you. And I think as we read this, it would be helpful for us to think about it from the disciples' point of view. What would they have been hearing in those moments? So I think what Jesus is doing here is sort of like, um, if I were to quote a line from a movie, you could, all I have to do is quote one little line and you instantly know the whole movie that I'm talking about. So I want to do that with two movies, see if you get it. Uh, The first one, and this is sort of a paraphrase, if I were to say the words... Luke, I am your father. What movie? Yes, all right. 
Second one, and if you get this, I'll love you forever. Roads, where we're going, we don't need roads. Back to the future, yes. Jake's the best. All right. So Jesus is sort of doing that here when he says, uh, when he says, finally glorify him. And then right before this prayer, he, he calls himself the son of man. And that's how Jesus typically refers to himself as the son of man. His disciples would have heard that over and over again. And right here he says, finally glorify him. And this phrase comes from a dream that Daniel had in the Old Testament in uh, chapter 7 of Daniel. And it's a really epic dream that you should all go read because it's just super cool. But we don't have time to go through all of that. But basically, what's happening in the dream is that there's this throne and God is there and there's these kings and they're just rampaging over all humanity. And then these kings are wiped out and the Son of Man is brought up to sit on the throne next to God the Father. And that this king is the world's rightful king of kings. And it says that his kingdom will last forever. That his dominion will go on and on and on. And so here in John chapter 17, we can see that Jesus knows that this is coming for him, that this is his future. He knows that he's about to share the throne with the Father, and he is going to reign as the world's true King of Kings. And then what does it say that he is going to do with his kingdom? We can put verse 2 up. It says, says, since he has been given all authority, authority over all flesh, to give eternal life. That's what he's going to do once he establishes himself as king and sets up his kingdom, is that he is going to give out eternal life to all who believe in him. And then he says in verse 3, he tells us what eternal life is. He prays and he says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So he doesn't say, Father, when I am king, one day these people will be with me and will live forever in heaven and it's going to be amazing, even though that is true. Eternal life, he's saying, starts now. It's a different kind of quality that we can have in life in these moments, the moment that we believe in him. It's what Jesus had been preaching his entire life. And right now he's saying that he's so ready to see this unfold. The disciples would have been hearing this, and they're hearing Jesus say this in these moments. And I can imagine them standing there and they're praying or whatever their posture was, and Jesus is saying that he's ready to be lifted up and glorified. And they're like, oh, snap. Like, this is happening, like, right now. They've heard him talking about him being the Son of Man. He's saying, now, the hour has come, glorify me. And I can imagine the disciples being like, yes, do it. Take your throne, be the king of kings that you are meant to be. We want that. And maybe they didn't fully get the uh, the implications of all that, but we see it now, and they were soon going to see it too. That if Jesus never ascended, then the story stops at the cross. Jesus goes on the cross, and he dies, and he would have stayed in the grave. If he never took the cross, then I mean, uh, went from the cross to death and life, and went as king of kings, then we would still be stuck in our sin. We would never know who the Father truly is. We would never have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So we want this. We want him to be lifted up as the world's true king of kings. And these are the moments that he's saying all this. He's saying, Father, let's let this happen. Let's do this. So as we conclude uh, part one, we can just look back at what we looked at and said that Jesus is celebrating all that he's done up to this, up to this point in his life. And he's requested that he be lifted up so that he can start handing out eternal life that starts now, the moment that we believe in who he is and what he's done for us. So we'll move on to part two of Jesus's prayer. And we'll say that 
we could call this Jesus prays for his followers. Jesus prays for his followers. Okay, so starting in verse 6, Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you, gave, whom you have given me, for they are yours. Okay, so we're going to pause right here just for a second. So right now, Jesus tells us that he's praying for his disciples, for his followers, those who are alive in the moment that he was. He's not praying for us yet. That's part three. We're going to get there. Don't worry. So in, in these moments, it's just about him and the people that are alive. And there are really so many cool things that we just read. But uh, for this first part that we're looking at, I want us to focus in on how Jesus ca- said that he came to show us. He came to, show, we, he came to show God's people who God really is. He came to show God's people who God really is. That's what it meant whenever he said that he came to manifest God's name to the people. And if these are some of Jesus' last words that he's saying so that his disciples could hear it, then I think it's really important for us to just spend a minute seeing what he means by, by that. So when Jesus is praying and he's talking about this, he's saying that everything that his disciples had come to know about him, and I mean, they went everywhere with him. His followers saw him do so many things. Jesus is saying that all of that is a direct picture of the Father. All of the the love and compassion that we saw Jesus have for his followers. We saw him have all these, these works of power and healing all from the Father. We even saw him get angry and flip the tables in the temple because the people were abusing his people and taking advantage of them. And he was done with that. He, was, he wasn't putting up with that anymore. All of that is directly from the Father. And I think for us, and maybe the disciples in that moment too, when life gets really tough, which it has a really good way of doing a lot of times, uh, some of the first things that get shaky in our faith is our perception of who God is and how he feels about us. Maybe sometimes um, even we have just incomplete view on who the Father is towards us. We see Jesus and we know that Jesus loves us and all this kind of stuff, but maybe we think that the Father is angry at us all the time or that he's vindictive, or that he's ready to get mad at us for messing up. You know, like that sort of thing. Um, And I think that right now, as Jesus is closing out and spending his last moments with the disciples, he wants them to know that the Father loves them the same way that he does. He says that he has been with them, and that the Father loves him the same way that, that he does. And I think it's really important for us to receive that as well. No matter what you think about yourself, or the things you've done, or whatever, God the Father loves you, and he is undeniably for you in the same exact ways that Jesus is. So we're going to keep going in verse 10. Jesus says, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, 
And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. That's Judas who betrayed Jesus. Verse 13. But now I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And these next three verses is what we're going to key in on. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Okay, so this, the whole chapter title, John 17, is called the High Priestly Prayer. And this is some of those moments where we kind of get into like what it means when it calls this chapter the High Priestly Prayer. And let's see why. Uh, we just read about a major theme of holiness that Jesus talks about. And he uses three main words to show us that. Uh, the first one is holy. Uh, very perceptive of me to pick up on that. Just kidding. Uh, so holy, sanctify, and consecrate. So really simply, holy means set apart, um, set apart from sin, separate from sin, and devoted to God's glory. And then sanctify and consecrate, that's the same word in the Greek, and it comes from that word holiness, and it means to, to set apart for holiness, or to make holy. So let's look and see how Jesus used these words in his prayer. So we're not going to put it up on the screen, but verse 11, Jesus just addresses God by saying, Holy Father. He just puts that out there. You are not like any other father. You are holy. You are completely separate from the destruction of sin and the effects of sin. You are holy, Father. And then let's go ahead and put 17 up. Jesus says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So right in here, Jesus is praying for the Father to make his disciples holy. That's what he says. Sanctify them in the truth. Um, make them holy in the truth. And then in verse 19, Jesus says, And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus is going to set himself apart on their behalf so that they can be made holy. That's what consecrate means. Okay, so everybody still with me? Yeah? Okay. So again, let's put ourselves in the disciples' shoes to see how they would have been hearing these words from Jesus. In first century Judaism, when people heard the word holy, their minds were likely brought to the temple. And specifically in the temple, the innermost part of it is called the Holy of Holies. And that's where the high priest would go and he would make... uh, atonement. He would sacrifice animals and make atonement on behalf of the people to cleanse them of their sins, and he would pray for them. So the high priest, before he could go into the Holy of Holies, he had to go through all these special ceremonies to cleanse himself or to be consecrated, to set himself apart. His sins had to be forgiven first before he could go in there and pray for his people. So what Jesus is telling us here is that he all along has been consecrated, that he is set apart for God's service. And now, just like the high priest, he's praying for his people. We see that. That's what this whole chapter is all about. We see him praying for his people. But then Jesus takes it one step further than just praying for his people. 
he does something that no high priest ever could have done. Rather than making an animal sacrifice on behalf of the people's sin, Jesus, who is the consecrated one, he's the one who is set apart, he went to the cross to become our once and for all sacrifice on our behalf. And he's saying he does this so that the disciples can also be made holy. Jesus in these moments is changing everything. They weren't going to need a priest on their behalf anymore to make these these animal sacrifices for them. There was a never-ending cycle of this having to happen. Sins would happen, animal sacrifice would happen, sins would be forgiven, all this kind of stuff. It was never-ending. was going on and on and on and on. And right now, Jesus is ending that. And not only is he just wiping that out, he's giving the disciples a new identity. He's completely and fundamentally changing them from the inside out right now by saying that they are going to be sanctified and, meet, and uh, be made holy. And I think this is the very moments that they're hearing this. And again, if I'm imagining Jesus and his disciples gather around him and they're praying, and Jesus says these words, his disciples are probably blown away in the moment. I mean, they'd never heard that they were going to be included in holiness with Jesus. That was the high priest. He was the only one who was set apart. They were never included in that. And right now, Jesus is saying that. And I said earlier that there were some things that Jesus told them that their hearts couldn't bear for him to teach them and explain to them. And so instead of teaching them beforehand, he just praised this over them. And then we know that um, just through some books of the rest of the books of the New Testament that this was, had an impact on them and they spent the rest of their lives just unpacking what this meant for them to be included in that. And I think it's really, really incredible that this is the moment that Jesus tells them that they're going to be included in holiness. So we're at the end of the middle section now and we can see as Jesus was praying for his disciples uh, that we can see that Jesus reminded them that he came to be the exact picture of the Father. That he is the Father's representation to the world and that the Father loves them the same exact way that he does. And then as he goes to the cross, because of the work that he's going to do there, that his disciples are going to be sanctified, that they're going to be made holy because of what Jesus did for them, and that they're going to be given new identities and included in what Jesus has with the Father. Okay, so with that, we'll move into part three of Jesus' prayer and see what all of this means for us here. So we'll pick up in verse 20. We can call this, sorry, we can call this uh, part Jesus and us. So verse 20. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Okay, so that's us. That's us here right now. A long time ago, Jesus was praying for us. And I think that that should mean something to us. That he wasn't just praying for his disciples anymore. He's thinking ahead and praying for us, those of us in this room. So verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Sorry. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me. That they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, 
whom you have given me may be with me here where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. And Chris, can you put verse 21 back up? That's the part we're going to focus on. Let's read it one more time. That they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Okay, so Jesus points out two areas of oneness for us. The first is our oneness that we share with him. And the second is the oneness that we all share with each other. And as I'm reading this, it's like, how is this possible for us to even be included in that phrase? Us to have oneness with Jesus. Sometimes I think about that happening over there, we're down here. Uh, There's no way that we're included in that. But Jesus tells us what he means by that. We can go to verse 17 and see that everything that he prayed for his disciples flows down to us. So we looked at verse 17 where Jesus said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify again means to make holy. So Jesus is saying, make them holy in your word. Okay, so for when he says your word, that word, word, is the same exact word used in the beginning of John's, God, God's, John's gospel. John 1.1 1, 1 is called the word made flesh. And it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It's talking about Jesus in that moment. In the beginning, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. In there, in the beginning. So why was this word used to describe Jesus? So the most basic definition of word is that it's an expression of a thought. That word is just an expression of a thought If I'm thinking something and I want you to know it, I say it. Words are expressions of thoughts. If we can keep this thought process going, we can say that if the title of word was used to describe Jesus, then we could say that Jesus came to be the physical expression of God's thoughts to the world. I'll say that again. Jesus came to the world to be the physical expressions of God's thoughts to the world. And we know that he says this in other parts of uh, the gospel, and he says it here several times throughout this chapter. Uh, In verse 6, he says that he came to manifest God's name to the people. In verse 8, he's saying that he gave us God's words, all that sort of stuff. And so when Jesus is telling us here in this last part that he and the Father are one, I think what he's trying to tell us is that he and the Father are as connected as thoughts are to words. That Jesus and the Father are as connected together as thoughts are to words. And that Jesus came to be God's words to us here. And so that's about their oneness. That's the oneness that Jesus shares with the Father. But the story doesn't stop there. We keep going. And said that, Jesus said that he shares that oneness with us now that we're sanctified, now that we're made holy. He says that we were sanctified in truth. We're sanctified in in your word. We're sanctified in Jesus. Now that that's happened, we're included in what Christ has done. Christ died. 
we died. Christ rises, we rise. We now have this oneness with the Father. Okay, so what about oneness with each other? So, um, sorry. So Jesus says that he is sending us the same exact way that he was sent. That he's sending us the same exact way. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Chris. Very into there. He is sending us the same exact way that he was sent. So we can make the connection that if Jesus was the expression of God's thoughts to the world, then now we become the expressions of Jesus to the world. So Jesus was the expressions of God's thoughts. We're one with him. Now we become the expressions of Jesus' thoughts. I want to keep going and unpack this a little bit farther. So how are we supposed to be the physical expressions of Jesus now that he's ascended? He's with the Father. He's on the throne. He's the King of Kings, all that stuff. How do we become the expressions of Jesus' thoughts? Okay, so so going through this, thinking about all this, what is in the middle of a thought and a word? A thought and a word. And in the middle of that is breath. You have to have breath to say the words that you're thinking. And this is probably too much to ask of anyone, but last summer we did a little two-part series on the Holy Spirit. And in that series, we used this word, this old Hebrew word called ruach. And ruach is used to describe the Holy Spirit, and ruach means breath. So we talked about the Holy Spirit, and we said that the Holy Spirit lives to become the force by which God interacts with the world today. So God wants something done. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes that happen today with us in the world. So for putting all of this together, and everyone's not sleeping or mad at me in this moment, uh, we could say that now that we have been sanctified and made one in Christ, the Holy Spirit is the breath. He is the power that moves in us so that the Word, who is Jesus, can be seen and heard on behalf of God in our world today. Let's say it one more time. Now that we have been sanctified and made one with Christ, the Holy Spirit is the breath that lives in us so that the Word, who is Jesus, can still be seen and can still move on behalf of God in our world today. And I know that maybe some of these steps are really complicated to get to, but I think uh, as we think about thinking and breathing and saying words, that's some of the most simple and natural things that Jesus could have used to describe this whole thing to us. We didn't really have to think about it, just thinking and talking. That's what we're, that's, it's so natural to us. And in this prayer, what Jesus is trying to tell us is that he still wants to communicate to the world. And he wants to do that with us. And he wants to do it through us. And the Holy Spirit is the way that he's going to do that. The Holy Spirit is the way that we are going to be used by God to speak to the world. So all this talk about oneness with God and their oneness and our oneness with him and with each other is really just about us joining into the story that they already have going on. It's about us stepping into what they're doing, how they're interacting with each other, and then us stepping into that story and just living it out here. So as we're, as we're closing here this morning, you know, I have no clue how some of this lands with you. I'm still trying to figure out how it lands with me. 
uh, we went through a lot of different stuff. I mean, this passage is long, and we talked about a lot of different things, and there's still so many things that we didn't even get to cover. Uh, this really could have been like a three-week series probably in itself. But I want to remind us that this passage is still here for us going forward. That this is something that we can come back to in reference as we're going about just living our daily lives. We can remember that Jesus, he left us this prayer for a reason. You know, so that we would have this to come back and reference it. And it's really just one big picture of Jesus stepping us through the whole gospel. We can come back to it and see what Jesus has done for us. And I think that if we were to come back to this chapter at any point in life, one way that we can just kind of interact with it, interact with it is not just reading it, but we can also join Jesus in praying it. So we can see how we're into the story with Jesus. So in your old time, you could go back to the Bible and simply just like yes and amen as you're going down. You could yes and amen the different words. And so for instance, if you're going to go to the first section, you could read that whole thing and you could go verse by verse by verse or look at the, the section as a whole, whatever you wanted to do. And at the end of it, you could just pray and say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be lifted up. The world needs you as the king and I want to see you as the king. Please be lifted up in my life and please be lifted up in our world. Our world is messed up and we need you, Jesus, as a king over the world. Take your throne. We want the eternal life that you give to us now. We need this. You go to the middle section where um, Jesus talks about us being sanctified and we can just thank him for our salvation. Jesus, thank you for what you did for me on the cross. Thank you for calling me holy. I don't feel that at all, but you say that I am. So I'm choosing to believe that I am what you say I am. You could go to the end part where he's talking about oneness, and you could just ask him, help me to be one with you. Help me to live like I believe that, and that it means something to me. And help me to be your expression into the world. You could take this, and you could just pray this in your own time as a way to just get through life. And then another way that I'd like to encourage us to use this chapter is by joining with Jesus and just speaking words of truth over each other. I think it's so important for us to, to practice what Jesus is doing here. Whether it's here this morning or it's whenever we go home, as we're in community group, as we're at work, as we're with our families, whatever it is, we get the opportunity to be the expression of Jesus in our world. And we got to be anchored to this. We got to look at what Jesus has done and we got to we got to then just tell the people around us. You know, if we hear something in community group about how someone's going through something, we can just sit there and be quiet. Just, we can say, "You're loved. Jesus came for you. I'm with you. We are together. You're not in this alone." We can say these kinds of things to each other, making sure that we all know that we're in this together. Jesus is talking about oneness. And we can't, we can't show people Jesus if we don't actually show them and tell them and use our words. And even this morning as the band's playing and the songs are going on and communion and all that kind of stuff, if you wanted to, you don't have to, but if you wanted to, you could just put your arm around your neighbor and just pray for him. Just like that. And you could just tell him, Jesus loves you. He came to show you that and I want you to hear it. I want you to hear me say that you are beautiful in God's sight and that he loves you, that you are sanctified and that the Holy Spirit is with you and that I am with you. We don't have to be shy about that. We can use our words to encourage people, 
That's what this prayer is here for. So the band can go ahead and and come on up. So I just mentioned maybe one way that you could respond this morning. Again, you don't have to. But as the band is going to be playing, they're going to be playing some really amazing songs. And they're going to play them really well because they're awesome. And um, as I was kind of like sitting there this morning trying to look over my notes again, I just kept singing. Because it's just fun to sing these songs. Just to join in with the lyrics and to join in with them as they're just leading us. I just want to scream these words because they're so awesome. We're also going to have two communion lines. Anyone can be a part. You don't have to be a member here. If you want what Jesus has for you, you just come. There's, the, there's going to be a tray with a little bread, and you can pick that up and dip it in the juice. And as you're doing that, the communion servers will be praying over you. They'll just be saying the words, the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ is poured out for you. And we're just going to hear this over and over and over again. Just receive that as they pray that over, with, over you. We'll also have some people here on the front row wanting to pray with you. I would love nothing more than to speak these words over you. It doesn't have to be a big crisis moment. It doesn't have to be that your world's falling apart just to, come be, just to come pray with them. You just want to hear someone tell you that Jesus loves you and that he's here for you? Then just come on down. Let's just pray together. Simple as that. Or if everything is going wrong, don't keep it in. Let's just pray together. It's as simple as that. If, if you want to come and, and pray at these steps, and they are, they're wide open to you. You can come by yourself. You can pray and just put some legs to these things that we're reading from Jesus. You can pull someone along with you to say, pray for me. You don't even have to tell them what it is. You can just pray together. If you see your friend praying, you can come pray with them. That's totally cool. It's totally fine, whatever you want to do. Just to show people that we're in this with them together. And if this morning also... If you're hearing these words and you realize that you do not have a relationship with Jesus, then please do not leave without talking to one of us. We would love to talk to you about what it can look like for you to start that journey, to start that relationship with Jesus. Just find anyone. You can come down here and just talk to us about it. We would, we would, we would love that. Our giving stations are going to be on either side where you can financially cr- contribute and tithe. We also have prayer request cards that you can uh, just write anything on. On the top of the card, it says, Jesus Christ has the power to. We believe that Jesus can do anything. And if you want someone to join you in praying with you throughout the week, there's a team of people that this goes out to, and they love praying for these things. You can write anything on it that you want. You can put your name. You don't have to put your name, whatever you want to do. If you want us to join in there with you, just write it down. So you can go ahead and pray with me. Jesus, thank you so much for these words. Thank you that you got to the end of your life and you had things that you wanted to tell the disciples and you wanted to tell the world and you knew that maybe it was too heavy for them to hear in the moment, so you just prayed it. May that mean something to us, that we get to join in holiness. Help us to not take that for granted that the old system is gone and you are here now. We acknowledge that you have, you've died and that you've risen and that you are the king. Help us to become these expressions of you. Help the people around us to see you through us. I pray that no one here this morning would feel alone. That no one would think that they have to go through life by themselves because no one cares. 
That's not true. You've told us it's not true. And I pray that as we go out in community, that speaking these words would be as easy as just breathing and talking. Jesus, you have so much you want to tell us. May we take the time to see and to pay attention to what you want to tell us. And may we take the time to see what you want to tell those around us through us. Thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done. We pray all this in your name. Amen. You can stand.